everyone. Welcome to episode 131 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me, as always, fresh off of PT Phoenix, Collins Mullen. Hey, hey Collins. Me. How was your weekend? Uh, it was fun. I played in the in the players tour. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna call it the pro tour a lot. That, I'm sure I'm on the gonna mess that up too, but. for sure. I have been consistently. So yeah, and honestly, it was a blast. Phoenix was pretty sweet. It was warmish, pretty mm-hmm. pretty dry. But yeah, I didn't mind that much. I mean, yeah, Arizona. Um, yeah, it was in Arizona. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of a cool city. Uh, There's a lot of cool places to eat. Uh, we also had a uh, pretty good. Uh, insider info on to where to go from Daniel Brody. Shout out to Daniel Brody. He uh, grew up in Phoenix for a little mm-hmm. bit, so he knew all the good spots. You hit anything particularly great? Well, uh, one sad part was that we tried twice to go to this Japanese place, and both times it was way too full, and we had to mm-hmm. find other things. But yeah. all of the places that I ate at were pretty great. Cool. So, good. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, and then the tournament itself was also a lot of fun. I ended up playing green white green blue ramp Mm -hmm. uh which was a very me deck i enjoyed it a lot after i made day two by going four one and constructed Mm -hmm. and i one two'd my draft yeah i one two'd both of my drafts uh that's a dagger didn't feel great yeah you were ready you were winning a lot in this draft format it's yeah i felt pretty good about draft and we can definitely talk about that specifically where i think i think that i drafted very very well and i think that my first draft i had the best draft at the table Mm -hmm. and my second draft i think i drafted reasonably well but i was not able to convert those because i was not playing well okay so i had the draft theory down but i was not playing at par with my opponents in the draft section well let's talk about that when we get to you know our first topic is really just breaking down the players tour and and how it went and and all those details so let's let's definitely focus on that because i'm interested in in hearing you know your your breakdown of why that happened Mm -hmm. before we get all the way into that i want to thank all of our patrons we really really appreciate your support we have a bunch of stuff that this weekend this is a three-day weekend i only have a local iq maybe two if i get guilted in to going to the saturday one as well but i'm not going anywhere three-day weekend we're going to send out anything that hasn't been sent out yet including the t-shirts and if you have not sent me your shirt size and you are a patron in the five dollar tier or above i believe is the tier send me your shirt size and i will get you a shirt i'm working on that but it is kind of difficult because patreon doesn't have an automatic shirt size collection yeah feature we'll have so. to hear from you if you want to yes. shirt from us yes. so give us your shirt size and i will reach out to people who have not gotten to me mm-hmm. but it you know you'll get your shirt first if you message me with your shirt size because i'll check those <laughs> off before anybody else nice um and they're very cute they got a goose on it they've yeah. got i'm wearing mine right now let's see if i can <laughs> you can flash the <laughs> it's pretty cool the hat you can also get the hat that is uh unfortunately because of the cost of the hat Uh, that has to be the highest tier. But, you know, you don't have to stay subscribed in the highest tier for forever Mm -hmm. if you want this stuff. Um, You know, just stick it out for a couple of episodes or so and and then, you know, whatever level of support you feel most comfortable with. Solid. So I don't have a keeper mole for us this week. I have a really interesting decision that I had in my top eight match in the Modern Classic this weekend. Okay. Uh, So I was playing the Heliod combo deck that we made into a devoted druid 
combo deck as well by taking out the Givers of Runes. It performed very poorly on day one of the Open, but then very well during the Classic. Nice. So, you know, not a lot of takeaways from that. Uh, I played a bunch of the same matchups too, and it just, like, functioned better for me. Yeah. But this one is a once upon a time decision rather than a keyword mole. And I had a couple of really difficult once upon a times, especially in this spot where you are on the play against an unknown opponent mm-hmm. and the the cards that you're looking at are good and kind of like fundamentally different matchups. And sure. um, you got to kind of predict how stuff is going to play out. I did not do any scouting during the classic <laughs> because it was a classic yeah. and I wanted to hang out with friends. Fair enough. So we're on the play. We don't know what we're playing against. Our six cards that are not Once Upon a Time are Razor Verge Thicket, Windswept Heath, a Noble Hierarch, a Devoted Druid, the one Eternal Witness in the list, and a Collected Company. So this is a pretty, this is a very good hand. Yeah. You know, we we don't have like a combo in it yet, but we have good mana, we have Acceleration, we have the Druid, which is a comp- powerful combo piece that we run out early to help make mana, and we've got the Company to help us get to stuff okay and we've got this once upon a time that we're in the middle of resolving right now yeah uh the only relevant cards that the once upon a time reveals the only ones i'd consider taking here are there's one land it's a plains and there's a second devoted druid Mm -hmm. and so i my thoughts about this hand to start out with are basically like we've got a mana guy and then we've got a druid and that is quite a bit of mana the concern is what happens if our opponent starts killing all of our mana. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is modern and not super likely to happen. Sure. I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in your initial thoughts of what you would take with this before I influence it with, like, too much of my... Yeah, yeah. ...what I have been thinking <clears throat> about. So, right. So, so the consideration that we're down to is whether or not we want a Plains or our second Devoted Druid. Right. And we would, in theory, want the Plains in case our devoted druid or one of our mana creatures gets answered because then we wouldn't be able to cast our collective company Mm -hmm. and we want to be able to cast that on curve i think that i would just take the devoted druid here Mm -hmm. because in the scenario where they're killing our devoted druid we want the backup devoted yeah to prevent us from cocoing we would just want to redeploy a devoted druid Mm -hmm. in theory it it's not that clear cut to me though because with this deck, we're not a devoted druid deck. Like, a lot of the time, I would snap off the second devoted druid here because, like, my entire deck is trying to assemble devoted druid plus vizier yep. and a win. And we're not that. Right? But we're not that. We're more, like, devoted druid is more of, like, a supplemental element to our deck where, sure, sometimes we can use it to combo off, but a lot of the time, it's just a mana dork. Mm-hmm. So it is a little more awkward to go turn three after you've killed my devoted druid play another devoted druid instead of turn three cast collected company and hope to do a lot of stuff from there yeah that all that said i think i would still take this backup devoted druid Mm -hmm. because just for the reason of like sure if they kill my devoted druid i don't mind my next turn being another devoted druid and you know a land is like the most likely thing that i can draw off the top of my library so if I take the planes and then I draw another land from there, it kind of feels like a bad draw step. Mm-hmm. So for for those reasons, I think I would take the devoted druid. Yeah, um, and I I think that what you said about the the deck not being a pure devoted druid deck mm-hmm. 
like, yes, that is important because you don't just win with this deck when you untap with Devoted Druid. We're not like a four finale, three vizier, four Eladomri's call yeah, yeah. deck. Mm-hmm. We're nothing like that. We don't have 12 copies of all of the cards in our deck. <laughs> right. But Druid is still really good to untap with mm-hmm. and like functions as this kind of like almost ex- existential threat to our opponent because they don't know how much stuff we have in our deck and they don't know if we just have it in hand. Yeah. Um, and so I, I love having a Devoted Druid to present. I did take the Devoted Druid, but I tanked for about 45 seconds mm-hmm. on this decision. It was really, really difficult. Um, and I talked to Zan about this too, and he actually comes out on the Plains side of things. Interesting. Um, he agrees that it's very close, mm-hmm. um, but his instinct was to take the Plains. He said when he had started playing the deck, he would have snapped off the Devoted Druid, but after playing it more because of that reason that, you know, you really... The most important thing with this deck against most matchups, and in particular against matchups where they're aiming removal spells at your creatures, the most important thing is ensuring you can cast Collected Company. Sure. And so I, I'm... Definitely sympathetic to that line of thinking, especially given what did happen to me in that game, mm-hmm. which is that I lead on Noble Hierarch, my opponent fetches a swamp, which already makes me feel terrible about fetches this a swamp. decision. What deck are they playing? Fetches a swamp, Fatal pushes my Noble Hierarch, yeah. his turn two is Inquisition you, think for a while, take Devoted Druid after I had not drawn a land, uh-huh. and my heart just sinks there as he then gets a mountain and bolts my Devoted Druid. Ah, uh, okay. And, you know, of course I don't draw the third land, so I can't Ewit back uh, the fetch land and then end up companying. That just kind of never happens, and I just get, sure. you know, I, I just never cast a spell that game. Um, that that does not make taking the Devoted Druid right or wrong either yep. way but mm-hmm. that is definitely the way that that particular choice gets punished sure and one of the reasons i took the druid was because i didn't think that particular course of action where just right. like a ton of cheap interactive spells at the very beginning of the game takes away all of my mana guys and i don't draw land mm-hmm. that felt like a very small percentage of games against an unknown opponent that that would happen yeah um but unfortunately that is what happened and um but, you got caught. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah. think it's a super close decision. And, you know, in the future, I probably will lean towards the land. Okay. Just because most games where I resolved a collected company, I won. Sure. So. Yeah. I mean, it is that powerful in this deck. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially with our eternal witness. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can definitely see that being the case where it's like, given how the deck plays out most of the time, you just like hitting your land drops is, is equally as important. Yeah. And be, right, because you have the witness in hand, even if you do, you take the planes and then your first draw step is another land, mm-hmm. like that's okay because we get to cast this company and no then we get what. to get it yeah, back yeah. Right. and then we get to cast it again. Mm-hmm. And so who knows how that top eight match would have played out if I had just, <laughs> that was my one decision that game okay. that I was allowed to make. Yeah, yeah. Who knows how things would have played out if I had just decided the other way yeah. on that So your opponent was on Jund? My opponent was on like a Mardu, my opponent was on anti devoted druid combo um it was just all very cheap interaction Mm -hmm. and then bedlam reveler and season pyromancer to reload which i assume just drew more fatal pushes and lightning bolts so it was it was pretty much a disaster for me yeah that that sounds like a disaster (laughs) if i've ever heard one um although you do have a lot of play against those decks if you enable yourself to cast collected company so which i did not But anyways, that's not even the format that we're focusing on today. I just thought that that was a very interesting moment in my weekend. Sure, yeah. But so let's uh, let's talk about your weekend. I'm all right. I really want to hear just everything you got about this PT. Whew. Okay. You want to start with limited since you know that was a thing that 
We can start with living. I'm debating on whether or not I want to talk about my Thursday. Okay. Where I had to scramble for uh, two copies of my deck when I thought I had one. Oh, no. But, you know, talking more and more about my my t- no, trials no, and tribulations. Let's hear it, because of... <laughs> not everybody gets to experience just sort of like how the weekend goes. Sure, like, okay. You know, this is, um, a, this is a big part of being a grinder is yeah. not knowing where the hell you're getting your deck from yeah. the day before the tournament. <laughs> well, right. And a lot of this invol- revolves kind of around a miscommunication amongst my team about, <laughs> and this is, this is more along the similar lines of uh, my other weekend where I failed to find uh, spike feeder spike feeders <laughs> on time and had to audible last second. Uh, but this time it was, it was on our end where we kind of failed to communicate well, I guess. And uh, I had put in an order through, our sponsor, MTG First, mm-hmm. for uh, cards for my ramp deck. Yep. Uh, but I sent to the person who collects all of these uh, two deck lists, and only one of them went through to first. Oh. So I had an in-soul deck waiting for me, but not oh, the deck no. that I registered on Wednesday. Uh-huh. The good news, though, is that I had gotten a lot of those cards from Wit uh, prior to leaving, but I was planning on letting... Evan use uh, the first cards mm-hmm. because uh, because we both register- ended up registering this green blue ramp deck. Mm-hmm. But so we get there, uh, you know, we get all of our sponsored cards, and there's just no green blue green <laughs> ramp cards in there. Uh, so we have to run around uh, and figure out where the rest of those are coming from. Luckily, Daniel Brody has a million cards Thank and God. is very willing to lend them to me. Uh, so Brody was just the hero of the weekend. Sounds honestly. like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we were able to get all that together, but that was definitely a little more stress because I had just come off of a weekend from not being able to play the deck I wanted to. And now I'm Your deck was cards. already registered. So and you didn't yeah, have I had registered like I, I had locked in on the day before at right. midnight. So um, yeah. So that was my Thursday. I thought I was just like gonna be, you know, nice and easy, stroll over the convention yeah. center, check in, get my swag. But nope, had to had to run around for things. This is one of the reasons I actually love playing this Druid deck, is because it's one of the f- few decks that I have played that I just own in its entirety at this point. Yeah. So I can just right. put it in my bag and I don't have to do anything. Must be nice. It's not <laughs> bad. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that was my Thursday. And then Thursday night, we go back to the Airbnb, and we have a very extensive limited meeting. Mm-hmm. So who's who's involved in this? So this is pretty much everybody at our Airbnb, plus Julian Henry, mm-hmm. Lyserg, pretty much everybody that we ended up testing together with. Because, okay. because we ended up testing with a little more than um, just our team. Mm-hmm. You know, we reached out to a few other people. Dave Long was there. Mm-hmm. Julian was there. Abe's friend Charlie was there. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting people, but yeah. um, but we had a bunch of people in this Airbnb. And um, shout out to Julian for really doing a lot to spearhead our limited discussions mm-hmm. for preparation for this tournament. He created the spreadsheet where we all put in our rankings of each of the commons and uncommons. Sure. And he had us all rank them kind of like two weeks into our experience with the format. And then we did another ranking like the Wednesday before mm-hmm. the PT so that we could see and like the spreadsheet showed us like the changes. Our standard deviation amongst our teammates mm. to see which ones we really needed to discuss and come to a consensus on. Yeah. 
and also like which cards went up in our evaluations, when cards went down in our evaluations. It was really cool. just phenomenally done. Yeah. And led to two pretty fantastic meetings that we had about limited one for each of the times that we rated because we so we had our meeting uh, before the Grand Prix mm-hmm. and that really really gave us a solid footing for for the Grand Prix and then we had another similar meeting where we just used all of the numbers to say okay we're we there's a discrepancy on this card we should talk about it we, we're all rating the same thing on this card we don't need to talk about it sure um that kind of stuff cool. so so that was Thursday night and that really felt like uh, it was very productive. Were there any cards yeah. in particular that you guys were, you know, far apart on that, you know, anything um, controversial? The, the biggest one was the 3-1 that has to attack for two mana. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Underworld Charger or something. Yeah. I think that, that was... That has escape for four. Yeah, yeah. That, and it became a 4-2. Um, some of us hate that card. Abe loved that card. <laughs> And it was funny because in one of Abe's drafts, draft decks, he ends up not re- playing that card, but like <laughs> regretting it and wishing he had it in the main. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Another card that really came out as an interesting one to me was, uh, and I, I still never came to a consensus on this, but uh, it did affect my draft in the PT where um, Escape Velocity was a card that I had just considered to be unplayable. But we actually talked about it more in the limited meaning right before the PT, and um, he said the card was actually much, like, played out much better than than we all thought it would, so okay. I ended up actually registering it in my uh, day one draft deck. Never drew it, but, <laughs> so I still don't know if it's good, <laughs> but it was kind of cool to see, like, how that discussion did have an impact on the way that I built my deck in the end. Yeah. So what happened with the limited? Yeah, okay, so... So you thought both of your drafts, you drafted well, is that... Yeah, and I felt like I drafted even better on day one. Um, I was less happy with my day two deck. They both ended up being Mm red-green, which isn't the best archetype. Sure. Green is a very, very powerful color, so I'm happy to be in green. Yeah. And both my decks were very heavy green. Uh, I just kind of ended up on red as a supplemental color because it was just an open color, and I got a lot of pretty powerful red cards Mm -hmm. to supplement it with. And my uh, my day one draft deck ended up with three of the red green gold four four yeah and just mono four power creatures sure. uh, on f- like four and three mana yeah so i thought that deck was really really good uh i had a lot of trample and i ended up playing the the green devotion overrun which is really good for me mm-hmm. and round one i i'm paired against dave long who <laughs> i had ubered over <laughs> with that morning he was on blue white and i beat him pretty handily okay i heard, found out later that he had a dream trawler in his deck mm. he just never saw it and i kind of just like one of the main ran reasons over him with four power creatures one of the main ways to end up blue white in yes. this format yeah, honestly yeah, yeah right well i think he actually got past it pack three mm-hmm. because the second round i played against oliver chu and he, after defeating me he was like did you play dave long Round one, and I was like, yeah. And he's like, did you beat him? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, thank God. Because I, <laughs> I passed him a dream trawler. And I'm pretty sure he was blue-white. Yeah. I've, um, I've found, in my limited amount of play, i found the main ways to end up in blue-white are from a gold card, either yeah. staggering insight or dream trawler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, same. So, yeah. So, I uh, I threw my match against Oliver Chu. Um, I was in a very dominant position in game three. And I had a 2-3 enchantment creature that had the plus 4 plus 4 wolf mantle on it. Mm-hmm. And he was essentially in the abyss to that card. Yeah. He was playing a red-white go-wide aggressive deck. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so me being on like uh, the beatdown was very, very good for me, I felt like, yep. because he wasn't able to utilize like the Rack and Flames or whatever that we were in right. the deck. And I had that and a two, like a couple of other smaller creatures. Mm-hmm. And I drew a um, plus one, plus O draw card and trample aura. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of snap put it on my big creature because yeah. that was just lethal that turn. But Oliver had just passed the turn with his mana up that turn. Without um, casting the card he drew. In in red-white. So there are white cards. Like, there's just, like, the destroy target creature with power four greater yep. that I should have played around. He ended up having um, not that card, even though that card was in his deck and I should have played around it anyways. But he that card is having... very good, too, by the way. It yes. just, like, well, ruins combat steps. I don't know. It's it's very very powerful when it works. Yeah, of course. Um, I would say it's like close to like a twenty three twenty four. Yeah, playable. at least a very good sideboard card. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. go and, on. and my deck was mono four power creatures. Yeah. So if, like if he has it and he probably found one, it's going to be in his deck post right. against me. He ended up having the rare that destroys multiple enchantments. Oh jeez. So but I, and I put it on my enchantment creature. So yeah. I I'm just like kind of throwing into like any interaction that he could have mm-hmm. by putting it there. So I don't draw that card off of it because he gets to kill my thing in response had i put it on the uh the two one that constellation plus one plus ones mm-hmm. i would have been able to attack with that through uh, his uh three four defender so i just kind of like got a little too hasty and greedy and like thought the game was over and put it on my big thing and then yeah. he killed it and was able to stabilize yep i've been there yeah you just like make the obvious play because you feel so far ahead and you don't right. think about yeah, Heliod's Intervention is the yeah, card, and but it's... just, like, instant speed rare that just, like, crushes you if you don't play super tight. Yeah. So, right, so that was frustrating, you know, and I know that you should, like, in these spots where you're very far ahead, you should just be looking for the things that can go wrong, but, uh, yeah, I just failed to do that in that spot and got punished. Sure. And then match three, I played against a green-white Auras player, and I think my deck was significantly better than theirs, but... I ended up getting stuck on three lands in game three and uh, just not really handling combat as well as I should have. I like because I was stuck on lands, I should have just been defensive the entire time. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like decided to like trade three damage for two damage a couple of times too many. And then all of a sudden, like me continuing not to hit my fourth land drop became a bigger and bigger issue. And then I was able to get tempoed out of the game. Uh, because I kind of just like let myself get down to a low life total. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a couple of reasons. Like I didn't want to trade my like premium two, three that has four mana make a XX, mm-hmm. um, for their like silly beater or whatever. Yeah. But I, yeah, I should have just like held all of my creatures back every time because my hand was full of gas and like at any point if I draw lands, I'm just going to be able to stabilize and now value my opponent. Yeah. So do you think... I mean, do you have a, like, diagnosis? Is there, like, were you tired? Were you, you know, nervous? Were you just, like, feeling out of your element from traveling or something? Like, what do you think was going on here? I think think it just kind of highlighted a weakness that I have in my game. Hmm. And I've always kind of known this a little bit, which is that, like, my strengths are definitely on the theory side Mm -hmm. of things. Like, I think I'm very good at, like, deck selection and um draft portion i think is very good and i'm able to it's like easy to translate those skills into wins when your opponents are not 
Pro Tour player level mm-hmm. players, right? So like I can definitely utilize my deck selection to carry me when I'm when my opponents aren't like actually just playing much better than me yeah. when we sit down to play. Yeah. But this time, you know, even though my deck was much better than Oliver's, he just played better than I did and was able to win. Mm-hmm. And I think I just kind of ran into that a couple of times at the Players Tour. And yeah, I think that just highlights like an, an area of my game that I could use to improve on. Do you think any of it has to do with the fact that we don't play high-level limited magic at all? Because these misplays you've identified are very... They're very limited-oriented. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, I had played a lot of limited, like, especially in, like, the early stretch of that draft format. Like, mm-hmm. I was just mono-jamming limited matches. Um, but then when it got into, like, the later stretch leading up to the PT, especially after the Grand Prix, I had stopped playing limited matches mostly like keeping up with my teammates drafts and stuff Mm -hmm. and then focusing on tuning my constructed deck so like the like the the two weeks maybe leading up or like the one week leading up to um the pt i wasn't actually like playing much i was just kind of like doing like the big think theory stuff Mm -hmm. about what i wanted to do so that that probably just meant that like going in i just like those kinds of decisions of like oh you know think about what you can lose here and play around it like weren't immediately ingrained in right me well and also you know we don't we just don't play high level limited anymore you mm-hmm. know all of all of our tournaments everything where there's stuff on the line it's all constructed yeah. all the time right. and could playing constructed like i think that i can play my decks at like a 95% proficiency because I just know all of the lines that are involved in the in the decks. Right. But, but you didn't feel like you were getting outplayed that often when you were playing Pioneer in this PT, right? So Exactly. Right. So like I knew my lines, I mm-hmm. like I knew what my opponent could do, like I felt like I could really do it. Um I did end up making I did end up throwing one constructed match um due to a silly play error, oh. but uh, <laughs> yeah, I just at four life against mono black attacked with my only reach creature. Gotcha. Yep. You can't do that. No, you can't do that. Rankle, Rankle hits just for kills four you. damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was that was just kind of like a brain fart. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, just like the intricacies of like playing limited, I think I just need to like play more limited mm-hmm. matches. And I think a kind of like a fun, like something I could do to help remedy that would be to do more arena drafts and like try to make mythic on arena because then I could be playing. Like, the draft portion isn't as, like, like technically skill. Right, but if we're just getting to the point where we're playing around cards and playing combat correctly. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's, this, that's like, the real skill that Arena can help with, mm-hmm. which is, like, playing your cards well. And, like, and I don't need, like, if I'm not playing a PT, I don't need to learn how to draft, like, appropriately or right. whatever, which is what I was concerned about. You're just trying not um, to let your, like, combat trick brain atrophy. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So yeah, so that could be something that I do to like help with that. And mm-hmm. I think that just like playing a high density of limited is also just going to translate into playing better and constructed as well. Just because uh, yeah. you're you're just thinking about all of the tiny decisions of all course. the time. So yeah. So should we talk about Pioneer at the PT and sort of like what happened over the course of this weekend because yeah. it was a little wild it was pretty wild so for me should i talk about me personally or just like the pro tour at large well so your prep i mean you ended up on simic ramp and i remember 
during the episode last week, you talked about how you felt pretty comfortable against everything. You had like a good plan for inverter that was it was still like kind of close, but you felt like you could yeah, surprise I felt, people. I felt like I was like a you know fifty eight. Uh, 58% are against inverter. Like, I, game one's really, really tough, but I think I'm like 70% mm-hmm. or more in the post-board games. And I think the one thing that you mentioned was like, if somebody figures out a breach deck, we don't really have a plan for that. <laughs> yeah. So, right. So we got breached. Yeah. <laughs> Truly the story of this Pro Tour. 65% win rate oh, yeah. over the course of the tournament. Pretty much every... Uh, lots of the major team players were tweeting about like, registered breach this deck is broken Mm -hmm. and that was the story going in yeah yeah and and that like i feel very good about my preparation Mm -hmm. for this tournament in terms of what i brought and constructed yeah i kind of checked all the boxes that i wanted to check which was um i wanted to play a deck i was comfortable with um i didn't want to like go in dark on inverter like even though i bet i like i figured going in that that was the best deck so uh, and and the deck that I chose to play, I did feel very good about its matchup against the expected field. Sure. The problem was that yeah, we the real field was... the the real field was a lot more about breach than we anticipated. Mm-hmm. So like maybe one of the things I could do going back would be to like I never personally played any matches with breach. I had just heard from some of my teammates that they it had really underperformed for them. Mm-hmm. So I kind of allowed myself to just like not really bother with it. Yeah. And I like, I think that that's just correct. Like you have to trust your teammates. You, and... you just have to do it. But like that said, I can't help but consider like, man, breach is one of those decks that could have been like a metagame choice. That is the kind of deck that I really enjoy playing as well. Mm-hmm. So might as well have given it a shot. Like, especially considering that I am, um, now, were the versions that your teammates tried, were they close to where the yeah. breach deck ended up? Yeah. Okay. I, I think we pretty much had the deck. Okay. But, like, the, yeah, there wasn't any, like, technology that we were sure. missing. Like, we knew about Tomescour and all, like, all, right. of the, all the tech stuff that they had. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it definitely was nicely built. You know, it minimizes its win condition yeah. to, to uh, you know, a card in the sideboard, basically. Right. The smallest, like Tomescour, is definitely like the smallest that you can get as far as win conditions go. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was able to deal with a lot of the small amount of hate that existed. But yeah, I I, I feel like probably the main one of the main reasons it did so well was just because there was not significant hate for it in most people's decks. And also, just the people who decided to register it were the best players in the room. That also that always helps. Like like so. Like, looking at the data from the PT, I think is definitely skewed because of that. Just because all of the best teams in the room played Breach. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're just going to have, like, a, like a 68% win rate sure. compared to the field. Right. Especially given um, that this PT is... This player's tour is very different from an old pro tour. Yeah. Just, you know, there are going to be more players that this is their first time at this yeah. kind of event. Yeah. And and honestly, it did feel a little more like Grand Prix Plus than did anything it? else. Okay. Yeah, it didn't like because there wasn't any like big production stage mm-hmm. and anything like that. It just kind of was like, yeah, this you know you're playing in a Grand Prix. It didn't have it didn't have the Pro Tour feel to it. Gotcha. Um, which is kind of sad, but right. Um, I, I guess they're probably saving that for the the players. The, tour finals. All of the money that goes into that is going into. 
either the PT finals or the mythic stuff. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, I'm glad that they had coverage of every one yeah. of these. And, it, and the coverage was quite good. Uh, yeah. Getting, like, Caleb on the commentary team was yeah. very, very sweet. Yeah. Um, it was definitely cool to see him there and, and doing stuff. But yeah, like, back to Breach, though. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a combination of, like, people mm-hmm. not expecting it, not being prepared for it, and all of the best teams played it. Right. So I, I will say probably, and, and this just has to do with, like, variants and stuff and maybe an experience not reflecting the actual percentages of a deck i do think the deck is quite good oh it is um, yeah watching you know we we found out about it like we found out that it was the deck of the pt when we were getting in friday night yeah for scg where were we scg philadelphia not philadelphia the scg valley forge casino resort uh <laughs> yeah um, the most miserable place to play magic in the world. Well, I'm sorry you had to do that. <laughs> it's fine. We we survived. We'll be, we'll be back the next time too, and yep. it'll get gross yep. food and watch people like <laughs> just melting their lives away, pressing slot machine buttons as mm-hmm. I wait for my Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyways, if you're not going to go to very many SCGs, don't make Philly your destination. Yeah. Is the 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 breakdown of that? You fly into Philly. A cool city with lots of great food and stuff. Yeah. And then you take a $40 Uber. You hate to see it. Out to the Valley Forge Casino Resort where you're just surrounded by nothing. Right. But yeah, so we found out, you know, Friday night, like Twitter was very abuzz about the deck and the day one win rate was extraordinarily high up to like 68% or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we happened to have Lee McLeod on our team, combo player extraordinaire. Um, so, and he had most of the deck with him because he was going to play it in a classic if we didn't day two. So we made the swap, took him out of our standard seat, unfortunately forced Chris Rogers to play a deck that he was not particularly familiar with. And in particular was not familiar with playing team of reclamation against blue white control, which is Uh, a very finicky matchup to play. And I, I think that. You know, if you're not, if you haven't been practicing it, you're going to make mistakes in your first many matches against it. And and I think that was tough on him. Yep. Um, so that part didn't end up working out. Giving Lee Underworld Breach, however, you know, <laughs> I think we gave ourselves the best shot of winning the tournament by doing that because he lost Fair. one match on day one with that deck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Chris and I just like failed to contribute. Uh, and then he played a classic with it and lost one match in the Swiss and... Just every time I walked over, he was either just way, way ahead or his opponent had stripped him of all resources, but he had a Lotus Field and a Thespian Stage in play <laughs> and then drew a pour over the pages and won the game immediately. <laughs> yeah, that is what happens when you do that. Yeah. You can draw a pour over the pages, you can draw a Breach, they all just end the game. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. There's just, or you can draw a Fae of Wishes. Right. Or, yeah, like, yeah. if you have, you usually need like one or two extra thespian stages in play for that to really sure. do it. But right, yeah, yeah. No, but it's it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so so yeah, Breach Breach was really the story of the tournament. Um for me, my day one in constructed went really well. Mm-hmm. I did not play any breach. Perfect. The, the next day was a different story. So um I went four and one on day one in constructed and then one and four on day two and constructed. So. How many of those losses on day two were to breach? Um, I don't remember. Okay, no, not all. I punted against mono black. Right. I definitely should have won that match. 
just because I, yeah, I attacked with yeah, my if only had, reach creature. If you had just blocked, or if you had just left it back, then you Yeah, would. and I just resolved a Ugin. So, right. like, the game was over. I just needed to not die. Gotcha. I was just like, all right, resolve Ugin. Your board is gone. Attack you for five. Oh, wait. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Gave him an out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, it happens. But yeah, it, it does happen. Just to talk about the deck a little bit more... Um, if you don't know how the combo works, mm-hmm. it's have a Lotus Field in play, preferably have copied it with a Thespian Stage, and with even if you haven't copied it with Thespian Stage, Hidden Strings plus Tome Scour is, the cycle is one Hidden Strings and two Tome Scours, and that is mana neutral, and you go up one card in your graveyard. Yeah. So that will get you there. It's much easier if you have a a field and a thespian stage because then you go up mana right that you can do pretty much whatever the hell you want with the cards you have access to i i had to learn how to combo the deck just in case because i was playing emerkles in my deck right so no lee, like... lee played an opponent who emerkled him yeah but just like was a mid-range player and couldn't figure out how to kill lee with the stuff that he had access to and, uh, uh, yeah. Well, know. so one of the downsides, though, is that I, f- I learned that if you Emrakul your opponent, you are not allowed to resolve granted. That just sounds wrong to me. So you're That's not crazy. You're not allowed. And this was confirmed by judges I trust at the player store. Okay. So like, I, I'm feeling pretty confident yeah. about this one. No, I believe you. It just sounds bizarre it is bizarre like so yeah if you're controlling your opponent's turn you're you used to be able to look at their sideboard and that's funny because one of the common like play patterns for controlling your opponent's turn is you and this happened more with um uh the old with mind slaver with mind slaver and not with uh emerkel but you would take your opponent's turn and you would say I would like to see your sideboard, and then your opponent would concede in response. Yes, the <laughs> correct play. Right, yeah, because you know, when I show them your sideboard. But they got rid of your ability to look at your opponent's sideboard. So you can't even cast a wish. So you, you just can't even cast a wish, which eliminates pretty much all of the ways of, like, not all of the ways, but a lot of the your ability to, to combo off. Mm-hmm. So I did have to learn, like, the manual deck myself wins. Right. Because there are plenty of those. Hidden strings um, plus strategic planning yeah. is a pretty good, gets you most of the way there. Right. So, but yeah, I was, like, able to, like, deck a lot of, or, you know, it didn't come up, but, you know, I could have decked my sure. opponents. But turns out the deck is a little faster than Emrakul. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's faster than Emrakul, but something like Sultai, if you can combine Disruption with Emrakul, mm-hmm. slow them down enough and put a bunch of different card types mm-hmm. in your graveyard so that you can Emrakul them in time. And a lot of the time, just, like, emptying all of their resources mm-hmm. is pretty good as long um, as you can clock them though because yeah. you empty all the resources right. but you can't get rid of the lotus field and yeah. the the thespian stage right. yeah and that's like that's the that's the phase one of the deck every game is let me set up lotus field and then all of my cards become very good yeah and hopefully you can like have lethal on table and your thirteen thirteen helps a lot with that but it, it does <laughs> it tends to uh, um so yeah like generally it's just like okay Get rid of all of your stuff. Cross my fingers for your one extra Emrakul turn, and then kill you. Uh, but so yeah. can you cast the? I guess this is worse. I, I was just wondering if you can like cast Granted, and you can't find anything. But it's just better to like cast the Fairy and use up all the cards in their hand to like 
keep them from accessing granted yeah generally i mean it depends on like how much mana you have access Mm -hmm. to um because casting the fairy definitely does lock them out of like a lot of like more resources and stuff but uh but like often you want to lock them out of like even more mana if you have the mana to like just like cast the granite side so that if they want to get it back they have to spend two more mana right but always remember too that you can hold priority and activate the fairy a couple of times to empty their hand out if it's like a lot of lands or something yeah 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 Yeah, a lot of weird stuff going on with all that but um hate cards that work against the deck lee was talking all weekend and from the games that i saw this seemed to be true about how hand disruption is like minimally powerful against the deck because it's all you need to do is top deck a breach or a pour over the pages and it just undoes that completely yep one of the most powerful cards is mystical dispute it's the old, like, if you spell Pierce my Manamorphose, like, that really destroys my turn tempo-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you Mystical Dispute the Pour over the pages, they're expecting to get six mana back from that Pour over the pages, and they don't now. So, like, <laughs> the counter spells are really good there. Yeah. Graveyard Hate is, like, okay. Mm-hmm. But even th- if they don't have a Graveyard, there's still a Lotus Field deck yeah. with Wishes that they have access to. Yeah, you just wish for Ugin and yeah. your opponent dies. So. Yeah. Right. Or at the very least, you can wish for Ugin and minus two and get rid of get, their recipe or, right. or whatever. So. That, that's like one of your main answers is get this Ugin. It's <laughs> wild. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, the, the, I think the best thing that you can be doing, though, is Damping Sphere. Mm-hmm. You know, not only is it a hate card that they can't combo through, but also it's like double stone rain yeah. at least. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, your Lotus Field taps for a colorless under it's a Damping Sphere. A lot worse. It is a lot worse than three mana of any color. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. So. Yep. Alpine Moon. Always remember to try to cast this after they've played their Lotus Field and not before. Mm-hmm. Because if you play it before, they just get to play it as a regular land. Yep. And then once they deal with your Alpine Moon, they just like got their Lotus Field for free almost. Yep. So be very careful about that. However, Alpine Moon was a very effective uh, like sideboard card. Yeah. For the mirror in particular. Because mm. um, so it's one-sided. It's one-sided, right. Yeah. But yeah, so there's like a lot of ways to fight this deck. I do not suspect that Breach is going to be a powerhouse for that long. Well, it didn't even top um, eight the GP, right? Yeah, it got... And so Evan played it in the GP. Mm-hmm. He said that he did really well day one, but day two, he just got destroyed because mm-hmm. everybody was prepared for him. Uh, everybody had a million damping spheres. The winning deck list just had four damping sphere, four thought not seer in oh the sideboard. So. Cool. <laughs> that was the that was mono red Eldrazi. Yeah, and that deck looks pretty sweet. Yeah. Um. So, well, especially in this environment where like aggression plus disruption is a great tool against a lot of these decks that exist. Yeah. But inverter was back to its old form by to the by the GP. I think it put like five into the top eight of that tournament yeah. um and i think it is seems to be pretty clearly still the best deck in pioneer yes um yeah inverter i played inverter in a sunday ptq mm-hmm. i was very impressed yeah it's just so clean um the the powerful deck lists that are like really well tuned are really good i think that your breach matchup post board can be excellent if mm-hmm. you want it to be so yeah um, I do still think that Inverter is kind of where it's at for sure. moving forward in this format. In some ways, it feels like a death shadow of the format. You play the best disruption, and yeah. then your win condition is like 
weirdly is just like weirdly great very quick basically (laughs) you know obviously it does not have it's not perfectly analogous since you have a combo win condition rather than a giant creature win condition but you know it's kind of putting inverter thassa's oracle together is kind of like putting death shadow team or battle rage together after (laughs) you've like thought seized them encountered a spell or whatever sure yeah no i mean that makes a lot of sense you know, and you know the the way that the games play out before, however, you win the game is very similar because you're just playing blue and black yep. cards mostly. So yeah, yeah, um, and it's extremely resilient to hate. There are no like damping sphere cards that work that do that against inverter. Mm-hmm. The best that you can do is just regular disruption with like counter spells and hand disruption, and they're like built to fight against that. They've got all these dig through times, so. You don't have lots of haymaker sideboard cards. You got to play real games of magic and and trade resources well with them. Yeah, I don't know. Any other thoughts about the PT or Pioneer in general? Yeah, I mean, so I think the inverter is going to be a really strong move moving forward. I think that my ramp deck got is going to get better because I think that breach is going to be hated out. Mm-hmm. But I think that you should probably wait like a week or two for that to happen before sure. you start messing around with it again. Yeah, don't play at an IQ this weekend because right. this is the first people chance are a lot of people playing Breach this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would be, I think that like if you really want to win, I would play Inverter with a solid Breach matchup, um, and you should be pretty set for right. that. If everybody's attention is on Breach, then playing Inverter seems yep. like a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, I played I played Inverter in the in the Sunday PTQ. I lost the first match to Blue White Control mm-hmm. just because I had never played the deck before, and I didn't know at that point that all of the Blue White decks are just main decking Gideon now. Mm. So I remember digging and like taking a combo piece over a Hero's Downfall, mm-hmm. even though the back of my mind I was like, you should probably take this Hero's Downfall. They play Planeswalkers in this deck. But I didn't, like, take the extra step of, like, oh, they play a Planeswalker that, that if I don't remove, you. I just cannot win. Yeah. Yeah. But then I won out, so deck was great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Dylan finals the PTQ with yeah. Inverter? Dylan made the finals of the PTQ with Inverter. Actually, lots of good performances um, this weekend. From... Edgar made the finals of the standard PTQ with blue-white control. Mm-hmm. Rossum queued by topping the GP. Yeah. Uh, Abe was already queued. Because of his Grand Prix win, but he 12 forward the Pro Tour. That was pretty sick. Very good. Uh, yeah, Dylan cashed. Edgar cashed. I did not cash. <laughs> you were one match off, though, right? Yeah. Uh, I played against Numat in the last round. Okay. Uh, Kenji. Kenji. Igashira. Igashira. And uh, he beat me. He was on Inverter. Um, he. We actually had a pretty sweet match because he beat me game one because my game one is really bad. And then I kind of crushed him game two. Because I just like had my better plan, but he was able to kind of pivot, and he brought in the Scarab God mm. in game three, and it just kind of soloed me. Interesting, because he was able to sneak it through after like you know I interacted a lot with his combo with my counter spells, and then like I was beating him down pretty well with Thought Not Seers, and he just resolved a Scarab God and. Can't be done with Thought Not Seers anymore. Graveyard that included Thought Not Seers, and he just kind of dismantled. He's just dressed up Thought Not Searing you, and it was not pretty. Poof. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, he earned it. He he found the juke that beat my deck. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, cool. I mean, not 
great, but yeah, at least I'll it, take it. So it's it was an a fun match. Way. Yeah, he was a pleasant opponent. Of course, you just can't you just can't get better than that. So yeah. Oh, what was I gonna say? Oh, side note about Gideon of the Trials. Mm. So a a very good card against Inverter because Inverter is a low resource yeah. combo. It is not effective against Breach. Yeah. If Breach is comboing off, they will be able to gra- grab an Ugin out of their sideboard or something like yeah. that because yeah. they're a high-resource combo deck. Yeah, I actually watched, um, I think it was Ari Lax was playing in the PTQ with with Breach, and his opponent had a Gideon out that had emblemed. Ari just like went off and was like, all right, play Jace, draw a card. And his opponent was like, all right, we're still playing. I have this Gideon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fine, okay. And he like tutors for a bounce spell, bounces his Gideon, casts another spell, draws a card, <laughs> right. wins anyways. Even if you forget <laughs> it's, it's like, there. Yeah. Right, yeah. So he like forgot about it. <laughs> it still didn't matter. <laughs> so although I for all of the moto grinders out there, I have heard that there is a bug where if you try to win with Thassa's Oracle or Jace under a Gideon emblem, it crashes your match and the only way Great. out is to concede perfect so just heads up on that one is you don't want to don't wanna forget about it you might want to get rid of it before it crashes your match Ugh. um that's atrocious you know just trying to look out for all my moto junkies out there right <laughs> but if you're gonna sideboard against breach combo if you want hate cards you have to stop the comboing part not the game winning part true <laughs> is the the upshot of all of that yeah so my weekend you know less you know, less prestigious than whatever than the player store, but lot actually had a lot of fun, even for not day twoing. As I cannot day two a team <laughs> open, Aww. I'm completely incapable of it. It doesn't matter who my teammates are. Uh, it doesn't matter what my individual win rate is. You're cursed. It it is just a curse. I've had opens where just like I couldn't win a match, and that's why mm-hmm. we we didn't get there. That was kind of this. This weekend, mm-hmm. I definitely did not really contribute positively to my team's win rate. Happens, but I've also had team opens where I like X one day one, and <laughs> it just doesn't. It doesn't matter what happens. Yeah, I was part of one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, team opens are not my thing. However, the weekend itself was very fun. Lots of great stories, including I walk over to Zan and Jeremy sitting in the feature match area after round two of the tournament, and Jeremy. Looks up at me and goes, hey, Chris, did you know that Glacial Fortress isn't legal and standard? Oh. And I said, yeah. And he says, because I didn't. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, and it turned out that he had registered a 75. <laughs> okay. Written down his deck list. Yeah. And then looked at the lands and realized there were no Glacial Fortresses in it. Huh. So then wrote down four Glacial Fortresses, because Glacial Fortress is always in blue-white. Mm. added four glacial fortresses to his deck okay. and then presented 64 cards to his opponents for two rounds <laughs> for two rounds until round two when his castle ardenvale comes into play tapped yeah his opponent goes no that should come into play untapped you gotta wait that's a glacial fortress <laughs> <laughs> not a hallowed fountain not a hallowed fountain Ooh. So Jeremy got a game loss, but he won that match. Yeah. Was able to the fix was very clean because the judge was able to just cross off the glacial fortresses on the deck list and, and remove the four <laughs> glacial fortresses from his deck. To make a legal sixty. To make a legal sixty. Oh man. Another Jeremy story from this weekend. I walk over on the first round of day two, because they did day two the open. And 
there's a very busy looking judge call happening. Busy? Like a bunch of judges? Like consultation happening between a judge and a head judge and, you know, multiple people standing around because they're curious about what will happen. Jeremy had forgotten to de-sideboard his deck. Uh, Happens to all of us from time to time. Sure. Uh, In this particular case, he drew two sideboard cards in his opening hand. Mm -hmm. But here's the fix that happened with Jeremy. Okay. So he draws two sideboard cards in his opening hand, calls the judge, says, hey, I've got sideboard cards. Yeah. Consultation between judges occurs. Okay. The judge comes back and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to reveal the cards that are currently in your sideboard that are supposed to be in your main deck. Your opponent is going to choose two of them. Those cards are going to go into your hand in place of these sideboard cards. No. Yep. 100%. (laughs) And then the rest get shuffled in in place of the sideboard cards that were mistakenly in the library. And then you get to choose whether you mulligan or not. Your opponent doesn't know what the five other cards in your hand are. Okay. Just gets to see the sideboard cards and pick two of them. Here's the problem from Jeremy's opponent's perspective. Jeremy was sideboarded for the mono-red matchup. So he had taken out his Teferis, his Narsets, and a Dovin's Veto. His opponent was playing Teamer Reclamation. Oh, no! So the best his opponent can do... (laughs) Is say, okay, put two Narsets in your hand, which are excellent in the matchup. Did Jeremy know the matchup? Jeremy didn't know the matchup. What a mind game. All he knew was that his opponent drew his opening hand, looked at it, and went, I can't beat those Narsets with this hand. And then had to mulligan. (laughs) (laughs) That is hilarious. Well, okay, opponent may have given away a little too much information with that. They were but bantering back and forth and stuff and yeah, i don't yeah, yeah. want as you soon as his opponent it. plays his first it's, land it's a ridiculous scenario so i'm sure you're not trying to optimize it or whatever right right yeah so yeah you know like that was the best his opponent can do he certainly can't put teferi into his hand no you can't beat that card game one yeah, or veto veto's great hey, veto is insane yeah. yeah so that yeah wow. okay Hilarious. that's a thing that happened jeez <laughs> So I'm actually inspired by Lee's. Lee has been tweeting like little stories from the event. So They've been great. Inspired yeah. by that, I if have If you been... don't follow Lee McLeod on Twitter, I recommend that you do so. Yes. It's been a lot of fun. Definitely worth doing. Yeah. Um, and so I'm I'm writing up a little article with some just some anecdotes because, you know, fun stuff happens in these weekends and then we forget about it. So I'd like to sort of preserve it a little more. Yeah. So. Nice. Um, as far as modern goes... That, I mean, that's all I played this weekend. I did not do well day one of the Open, but then in the Classic, and Classics are different, you know, they just generally are easier to win matches in, and the meta is a little bit different and stuff, but it just did not feel like I could lose in the Classic. The deck felt extremely powerful. Um, Solid. I'm very comfortable with the sideboard plans at this point, and have adapted to what my what okay so some really interesting stuff that has occurred uh i've changed how i approach the prowess matchup because i understand it a little bit better Mm. that you never you you want as much as possible to not rely on mana creatures um and mulligan to hands that are very likely to cast collected company at some point in the game because they basically operate as a removal heavy control deck with card drawing against you yeah coco is kind of this one of the scarier cards that you can Mm -hmm. have yeah um because sometimes it just wins yeah (laughs) 
and, so, and even yeah. when it doesn't, hopefully it gets you on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, gets card advantage in a matchup where they are one for wanting you a lot. So even though it is the most expensive card in your deck, if you are playing this deck against Prowess, resist the temptation to trim that part of the top end of your curve. You know, okay. take out like a Heliod or something that doesn't affect the board by itself. I, I take out my Viziers and the Viscera Seer because it's very difficult to put together that sort of combo against yes. the cheap removal. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I do agree that, like, Heliod itself is, like, unless it involves an infinite life combo, mm -hmm. one of the least scary cards that you can play against Prowess. Yes. Because a lot of the ways that I've beaten them is that they, like, tap out for Heliod and then die. Kill them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So. The times that Heliod is the best, besides infinite combo, are when you have a Burnt and Forge Tender and the opportunity to start attacking with it and getting plus one, plus one counters onto it after you give it lifelink. Not bad. Um, but you always, always, always have to be very aware of Kozilek's return post-board in that yep. matchup. Um, that's the backbreaker, and you gotta pace out your guys such that you don't die to it. Yeah. Um, I did get Blood Mooned a couple of times this weekend. Once out of prowess, and once because my Mardu Pyromancer opponent was a Blood Moon deck. Was it good? So here's the thing. If you are playing a deck that murders all of your opponent's creatures, the deck Heliod actually can be put into positions where Blood Moon is pretty powerful. Okay. Uh, if I don't have any mana guys, I can never cast a Spike Feeder if there's a yeah. Blood Moon in play. I only have one Forest in my deck. Sure. Um, if I screwed up and I did not think about Blood Moon and I didn't fetch properly um, and you kill, kill my two mana guys yeah. i can get pretty hard locked out of the game however i do think that if i start approaching these matchups with a little more blood moon awareness and it, it's tough because sometimes you really don't want to fetch the basics and sometimes that is actively bad for you yeah but you know it saves life anyways and uh if you are a prowess deck and you draw your blood moon and i fetched out plains plains forest like that's a disaster. Yeah, not great. So I'm going to try to be more conscious of that in the future. But an unsuspecting Druid opponent, at the way that I was in <laughs> in one of at in one of my games in particular, it absolutely can be a, a knockout punch. So Okay. Um, if you are not killing all of their guys, do not blood moon them. They've got noble hierarchs and birds of paradise. Right, right. Yeah. Not what you want to be doing. Yep. I also played against Dredge twice in the classic. I, I've heard that Dredge is back in action. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ox is great. Yeah. Matchup against devoted against this Heliod deck, though. Not great. Uh, as close to like a 90-10 <laughs> matchup as I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, my first opponent, like, kept a, you know, I gained infinite life game one. They scooped. Game two, they kept like an okay hand that like put some blood gas into play on turn three. And then... I won, and he was like, I don't know why I kept that hand. I shouldn't sure. have. Yeah. Um, my second opponent mulliganed to three, game two, didn't really do anything, but he gave himself a chance to have Dark Blast available to him. Okay. Like, that's what his... That was his plan. He knew that it was exact mulliganing to Oblivion and keeping a hand that put Blood Gas and Prize Amalgams into play were the exact same thing. That's a, they, <laughs> okay. They're both a game loss. <laughs> yeah. So mulliganing at least gives you a shot to have Dark Blast in your opening hand and have sure. me have a hand that isn't good against Dark Blast. Okay. So. Yeah. But yeah, that matchup, not good for Dredge. That makes sense. Yeah. Probably going to play, possibly going to play a standard IQ this weekend. I don't really know what's going on in standard. Nope. So there were two 
uh, standard PTQs mm-hmm. that I knew about over the weekend in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. They contained 60% of the metagame as blue-white control. Blue-white seems very good. Yes. It seems like blue-white control is like far and away the deck to beat right now. Mm-hmm. Other considerations are uh, Team Rec is very strong. I think its blue-white control matchup is close but very skill dependent mm-hmm. um i think that you know everything else equal i think that you're actually a little head against blue white but a strong blue white control player will dismantle you the matchup seems to be entirely about the blue white player trying to keep teferi in play yeah um and which is one of the reasons that i don't like the sideboard plan that's like a bunch of flash creatures mm-hmm. like i do appreciate juking dovin's veto but night packing ambusher just looks very stupid <laughs> when you have to play it on your main phase and it just gets to fairy bounced or whatever yeah sure yeah and i can't really speak a lot to the intricacies there i mm-hmm. like i played zero standards so. yeah um but that's something i heard um another deck i saw doing well in one of the ptqs was there were multiple copies of red black sacrifice mm-hmm. that seemed to be doing well I don't really know if that's like a like my sample size for that is like one top four was two red black sacks and two blue white control players so well i know one of our local teams of uh will rea and chase price crap i can't remember who the third was but they they were very live they i think they lost their what was probably a winning into top four of this open um their standard seat was on red black and they were very happy with it yeah um it's one of the decks that does have game against blue white yeah it seemed like it it seemed like a lot of the things that they were doing were very resilient to sweepers mm-hmm. and uh just had a lot of value so yeah so yeah i um if i play standard uh this weekend i think i'm probably gonna try to pull the trigger on that sacrifice deck mm-hmm. or I, I, I could probably play blue white control seems great yeah I'd try to get over my control heebie-jeebies a little I bit i mean you can run like um, four dream trawlers in there that really like Allows it, you to a tap out control deck is as good as it's going to get for yep. me. So, yep. um, and it definitely seemed more along those lines. Yeah, because Teferi in the format just really eliminates a lot. <laughs> Disincentivizes yeah. non mystical dispute or Dovin's veto counter spells. Right. I also heard there's so there's the standard one an hour away. There's also a Pioneer one an hour away in the other direction. Uh, okay. Um, there's also a modern one on Sunday at East Coast. So and yeah, and I think no matter what, I'm playing the modern definitely one playing on that one. So yep. So. What are you going to play in modern? What's your what's your go to? prowess i mean it's gonna hard to go wrong with prowess but if if lee comes up with a fun breach deck and Mm -hmm. we can get two copies of it i would love to play a fun deck yeah this uh it's mostly been making the rounds on twitter but i know somebody at least five owed with it pretty recently yeah um yeah i did see that on twitter and it's still in the brew stage but this is love to hear it uh just a kind of unholy amalgamation of breach combo with urza um you can run some goblin engineers that like kind of work with both types of combo. You've got Thopter Sword. Emery is great at enabling mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Uh, you know, I don't know where the final form of the deck ends up. The sideboard is atrocious. Uh, it has uh, Farika's liberation libation in it because sure. it's the only way Grixis can handle rest in peace. Um, but I believe that will not end up in a final version of the sideboard um but yeah that that particular breach is busted and there's got to be some way to do it in modern right that that is good and resilient i it's just gotta be (laughs) you know so for sure um yeah um 
if it's happening in pioneer then yeah it's got to happen in modern yeah so we'll see uh amulet really did dominate at least the team open results mm-hmm. uh i didn't play against it a single time this weekend in the open or the classic yeah. uh to my chagrin but at least we got a couple of dredge <laughs> matchups in there to make up for that fair enough but yeah dredge definitely or i mean amulet definitely still kind of like the number one yeah if you know how spot. to play amulet you should be playing amulet right yeah it's just the best deck. best has ever been yeah i mean i guess when it had summer summer bloom it was better but you know it's the best that it's been you know back in the days when it had summer bloom and one simian spirit yeah. <laughs> that is definitely the best it's ever been when you're just palming seven <laughs> can't get better than that yeah cool i will probably run back some devoted jury yeah, this week. It's been working for you. I yeah. I can't see that going wrong. Can't get too mad about that. So. Um, I did see some tweets about, and this is sick. You know how the crazies have always tried to make polymorph work as a card. Ooh, the crazies. Yeah, I love the crazies. I love the crazies too. Yeah, but they're not so crazy anymore. I I think this polymorph deck. There's really something to it. There's definitely something. So you don't have to put a th- some bad three mana planeswalker that makes tokens into your deck anymore. Yeah, those slots get to be whatever disruption or ramp or whatever you want now, because we are not making tokens with planeswalkers anymore. We are making tokens with fetch lands. Yeah. So the dwarven mine is that what it's called from Throne of Eldraine? Isn't it a castle? No, it's not a castle. It's not a castle. It's the fetchable one. It's the fetchable one. It's the Mystic Sanctuary, but red. I believe it's Dwarven Mine. Mine. You get a dwarf as long as you have three other mountains, Mm -hmm. and we don't have any creatures in the deck except Emrakul, and we have... Just fetch it out. Right, so so we get something like 11 total copies of Dwarven Mine in our deck, and then you have four copies... Can you also find Dwarven Mine off of Farseek? Yeah, you can also just Farseek for it. So I guess we have like 15 copies of it okay. in our deck, nice. really. It's just some of those copies cost two mana, but that's okay. fine. Yeah. Um, you you get it, and then you have four copies of Polymorph, and then four copies of... Uh, the weird that triple weird, red one. Yeah, the triple red one from, from Ether Revolt that does the same thing, basically. Okay. And so you just have a bunch of copies of a four mana spell that puts an Emrakul into play. Mm-hmm. You get to play Teferi... Uh, Ooh, you can't Farsi for it. Farsi makes it come into play tapped. And the dwarf you only get the dwarf if it comes into play untapped. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. Okay. But you still have a lot of copies of cool. it. Cool. Yeah, I mean you're like if you can fetch for it, you have many, many copies. So Yeah. Um and to fit like running four Teferis just kind of curves perfectly into it. You can yeah. just play Teferi plus it. Teferi usually doesn't die. Mm-hmm. And then you just polymorph and they can't kill your guy in response. The question is is that Emrakul good enough in modern? And in some matchups it is. In I some matchups. So. Yeah, yeah. Emrakul does beat infinite life, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Just attack a lot. <laughs> right, and you well, so the the key is having another Emrakul in your deck so that so you, you will never deck. deck yourself yeah, yeah, yeah and then how many emeralds is deck play it's got to play two right yeah because if you draw one we don't have brainstorm in this format so we gotta we gotta make You're sure just to... dobs if yeah. you draw two <laughs> oh, I, I think no. i think the lists have like three in them so i i think oh, okay i think you can are there other like breaches or like are, is there anything else that... so the you can run a through the reach sideward plan and i don't know exactly like what that is particularly good against but okay. You can you have all these emeralds, uh, so the list that I've seen just have a bunch of through the breaches in the sideboard as a juke from sure. 
you know, I guess if they are capable of killing your Teferis and then holding up removal, you can't polymorph your guy and get an Emrakul. So uh, that could be a better plan there. I don't really know exactly what the etiquette is. If somebody else gains infinite life and then you Emrakul them and show that you can't deck, I would always scoop in that spot, but maybe not everybody would. So yeah, I it's definitely a have to versus should scenario. Yeah, you should scoop. You should. You're dead. Like you can't win, and they are guaranteed to. Um, gonna... And I think that your opponent can actually demonstrate a loop, which is that you attack trigger and like move to discard discarding Emrakul. I don't think you can demonstrate a multi-turn loop like that where you give a turn to your opponent, despite the fact that they're not going to be able to do anything on their turn, because. You, you you do that, but then you pass the turn, they draw a card. Sure. So I think it is slow play to like look at your hand of eight spells for 30 mm. seconds and then not. So, you know, there's like a bunch of like real bad stuff to just not scooping. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, Breach beats Craft Digger's Cage. Uh, if, okay. So sure. if, if they're sideboarding in that against you, That's that weird. is a plan there. But yeah, so lots of neat stuff going on that haven't had time to explore in particular, but I'm excited to get to work on some of these things and honestly that makes me feel pretty great about magic yeah. is that there's there's just a lot of fun stuff to do like each format has unexplored doors mm-hmm. it's there's a lot of moving and shaking pieces of all of the formats even after the pro tour yeah like you know the pro tour happened breach crushed it i'm just like not worried about breach moving forward yeah. i think that like we're going to be able to pretty easily adapt and i just like don't think it's going to be a very successful archetype moving forward yeah um, thanks to wizards not giving us deckless the perfect solution oh god to magic the <laughs> gathering to figuring out magic the gathering format i mean yeah <laughs> it's grim folks it's grim yes but magic is fun <laughs> i've been fun yeah i i think it's really disappointing uh, i think it's very cool to have frank karsten be able to break down mm-hmm. these matchups and stuff i love seeing these matchup profiles on mtg meta and stuff and i don't believe i think that limiting this information unreasonably favors people who have access to teams and time way over people who just can't put in that work and uh it's pretty lame honestly Fair enough. But that's pretty much all I have to say on that. Yeah, I don't really have a lot to say on that either, which is other than just like, oh, Wizards, it sounds like Wizards are making decisions again. <laughs> and uh, and is... we all know what the outcry to that it sounds like, and it sounds a bit like this, so just I don't know. can't be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, I don't know. Anyways. Well, this has been a good talk. I think this was fun. Yeah. Um. I hope that you make it back to the Players Tour very soon. Me too. I mean, you know, Open Finals queue. I'm going to be playing a lot of Opens. Yeah. Maybe I'll make the Finals of one. Hell yeah. It'll be great. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you got some opportunities. and Yep. Definitely. I will say, though, that at this moment, and I mentioned this before, but we'll just pretend that this is a brand new conversation that we haven't had. I will say that I am first on the leaderboard out of ah, anybody yes. living in this house right now. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Chris is just destroying all of the low I'm really, here. really yeah. just top 16 and, and top eight and some classics and <laughs> grabbing some points off of those while you guys are at PTs. I so. mean, great. Yeah. Do it. I'm happy. Yeah. Um, may be in top 16. And if I am, then I may go to Indy in two weeks. You got those two buys. If I got those two yeah. buys. Maybe flying in the morning. Who, know, like, who knows? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> 
we'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely feels kind of nice. Yep. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Well, cool. Yeah. Congrats on that. Thanks. Um, I think that's pretty much it for us today. Yeah. Um, chat. Thank you for hanging out. Indeed. Everybody listen at home. We really, really appreciate you listening. If you would like to lend us some support, please head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast and we will send you some cool stuff. If you choose to pledge to us, uh, you can also go to mtggrindcast.com to find all of our episodes and to find you know links to our Patreon and stuff directly there. Hit up Collins on Twitch. Uh, you're going to be going back to streaming this week? Are you going to have time for that? Or? I... I'm so I'm actually considering doing more YouTube videos. Okay, cool. So, yeah. so check that out. Is that going to be on the Lotus Box it's, channel? It'll be on YouTube.com/slash/TeamLotusBox. Okay, cool. Yeah. So head over there if you want to see Collins doing some videos. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, I am tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. The podcast is at MTG underscore Grindcast, and Collins is also on Twitter at Collins Mullen. Thanks again to everybody for listening. Really, really appreciate it. And have a great week. Peace.